0: Dr. Amalia Gonyas Malka, welcome to Womanity Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socio economic class division, and gender based violence. Joining us on the line today is Professor Zoso Janji. Mohango, who is a professor in the Department of Jurisprudence at the Faculty of Law in the University of Pretoria. She holds LLB and LLM degrees from the University of Western Cape and a Doctor of Juridical Science, LLD degree from the University of Wisconsin-Madison in the United States. She has been admitted as an advocate of the High Court of South Africa. And she was recently appointed as an inaugural fellow of the Pan-African Scientific Research Council. Welcome to the show, Professor.
1: Thank you so much uh, for having me and uh, hello to the viewers.
0: Professor, to start with, please tell us about some of the work that you do, as well as responsibilities that come with holding your position as professor in the Department of Jurisprudence.
1: So as academics, we do three main duties. The first one is to teach students. We teach and supervise supervise students from undergraduate to postgraduate. So I supervise students from their LLB elective, and also I supervise the students in master's degree LLM and also doctoral degrees in my area of interest. And I also teach them law and transformation. And I also teach uh, masters in uh, global justice. Secondly, we do research in our area of interest as academics where we have to publish that research in uh, accredited journals. This means that those journals must be accredited by the department of higher education and training in order for the university to get subsidy. So we are required to publish in those journals. And then we also go to conferences, whether international conferences or local conferences, where we present our papers to our peers that are going to critique and give feedback to our research. And then thirdly, we have to do administrative work, such as belonging to committees within the faculty of law where I am, and also within the university at large. And also added to that, we also have to do what is known as uh, academic citizenship, where we will be external examiners uh, for other universities, uh, where we will belong to the editorial committees of um, journals, and also where, where we are requested to review academic books. So that's what we do. And my research is on international criminal justice in Africa. I look at the African Union's member states' obligations for international crimes, This includes doing research looking at the power struggles between the African Union and the International Criminal Court and also look at what the African Union member states ought to do to curb the international crimes that are being committed during armed conflict in Africa. And uh, tied to that, I look at South Africa's obligations when it comes to holding perpetrators of international crimes accountable. So that's basically what we do. But most importantly, that, what I enjoy is being involved uh, with students' associations. Currently, I am a guardian of the student tribunal or student court, where students have this uh, mock uh, constitutional court. Um, they deal with student uh, uh, legal problems, and I am I'm just. Uh, being their guardian but I deal with very smart students I'm just enjoying the ride because I don't guide them that much instead I'm just um, watching them do the job with such dedication and love of law.
0: You have such an interesting and exciting portfolio a point that I want to tap in briefly is with regards to connection to students because obviously, our world has changed dramatically. I mean, in the the last year, we have had to adjust systems literally overnight to still maintain some sense of uh, normality. How has this impacted on your teaching dynamic? Because clearly, students haven't been able to have face-to-face engagements to return to campus. Everything is now in the online environment.
1: It has been a great challenge. It has been tough uh, for all of us, us as academics and also for students. Because for me, I love seeing students. I love going to class. I love seeing their expression and ascertain whether they understand uh, the lesson. And now with teaching remotely, I'm unable to see whether they understand the work and deal with that issue there and there. I will only be able to deal with it once I get an email from a student asking me to explain something. So it has been really, really tough. And also teaching a course such as law and transformation, for example, requires discussion, debates, and this is limited by remote uh, teaching. Because some students do not have the data to go online when we are having short live sessions, so they are missing out. And um, some students, even though they will come to just listen, they are unable to participate because of issues of um, privacy. They don't want to show their faces online, or they just don't want to to talk. So it it's it's really have been. Uh, difficult, but we are trying to make sure that we tell students that we understand, we are there for them, we are all in this together, and we are going to navigate it until everyone is vaccined and we are able to go back to face-to-face teaching. But I am suffering because I just love going to class.
0: I'm not sure if I'm being a little too far-fetched here in my thinking. But sometimes I wonder about human rights and the way that our world is, is changing and evolving, that if access to the internet and access to, the data beca- to data because of the way that we have to function in society now, if that shouldn't almost be constituted as, as part of our human rights, with your background and, and specialization, what are some of your views about that?
1: Well, I I think access uh, to data, especially during this time, should be considered as a right, as a human right, because without access uh, to data, then the right to education is affected. It is negatively impacted because students will be unable to have access to education. So definitely it is a problem and I know that universities, including our universities, are trying to make sure that they provide data where they can. Uh, they get sponsorships um, and uh, they, they talk to, to the network providers. But there is more that needs to be done. I think the government needs to be involved because we don't know how long COVID-19 is going to stay with us, with also with the problems of uh, slow progress when it comes to vaccination. So yes, um, human rights, uh, a right to access to education is impacted and therefore we should seriously consider access to, to data to be one of those rights.
0: Thank you for elaborating on that point. Earlier this year, we had an interesting conversation with Professor Helena Barnard from Gibbs. And one of the things that impacted me was when she said that she was starting with her, I think it was her postgraduate studies before she was a doctor and she wanted to address business in Africa. But what concerned me and as well as her when she was relaying the story was the fact that she could either have a choice of studying in Britain or in America, but not in Africa. And it seemed almost unfathomable to me that if we want to learn about ourselves, that we had to go overseas. Given that you are part of the Pan-African Scientific Research Council, that you have a strong uh, expression of interest in the topic of international criminal justice in Africa, please tell us more about the Pan-African Scientific Research Council and its role to develop and promote African research.
1: Yes, so the Pan-African Scientific Research Council is fairly new. It was um, only established in 2020 when the COVID-19 came about. So the role of the Council is to bring together African and Africa-focused researchers and professionals to enable a cross-disciplinary, cross-generational, and cross-geographical collaboration and learning. So the goal is to promote research, career development, and uh, public engagement among African and Africa focused researchers and professionals. So it has thematic areas that range from pure sciences, such as mathematics, statistics, also uh, medical science and social science that I, I, I belong because it includes law. So it is big on promoting and encouraging research in Africa. It also advances career development for young scholars by providing mentorship and workshops. So my role there currently is that I am a fellow, so one of the senior people within the council. So I have to provide some mentorship. Um, and also what I like about it is that it, it, it is big in making sure that the research that comes from Africa is going to help Africa by making sure that there is public engagement. So it's not just about research, there will be public engagement with policymakers where we may participate in policymaking that is going to help um, Africa as a whole. And just to go back to what was said, it's, it's really strange that we go and study overseas um, to these universities because I also did my doctoral degree in in the U.S. And you go there and you find that their libraries on Africa are bigger than the libraries that we have here in our African universities. So there is something that needs to be done. And I think that the Pan-African Scientific Research Council can also help in making sure that we do our own research in Africa about Africa and we're going to expand on it and maybe our libraries are going to be as bigger as those libraries um, in the west.
0: It's a great initiative and I think you were very brave doing your launch in 2020 as we're on that cusp of of COVID-19 and I really hope that the mandates are fulfilled by this initiative to really grow our expertise and for us to embrace our, our Africanness and the contribution that we have to provide not just to our continent, but indeed across the world. Earlier, you mentioned academic citizenship, and I noticed that you are managing editor of the South African chapter for International Association of Women Judges Law Journal, which is due to be launched this year. You are a member of the editorial committee of Comparative and International Law Journal of Southern Africa and the editorial board of the Southern African Public Law. You are also a member of the advisory board of the African Yearbook of International Humanitarian Law and the African Center for Transitional Criminal Justice based at the University of the Western Cape's Faculty of Law. I wanted to ask you more about the notion of academic citizenship and being part of this and growing the community, growing the academic community, because it obviously doesn't just sit within one university, but extends across the academic network.
1: Yes. So academic citizenship is, uh, uh, is very big at universities because uh, the idea is to collaborate with other institutions and not just sit in your department or in your faculty and not um, collaborate with others. So as we move up the ladder uh, as a full professor now, I am expected to do more. That's why you see um, uh, all those roles that I play. So I have to make sure that people know about my work. And I also know that I am able to do more than just uh, do research and teaching. I'm able to collaborate. I'm able to network. That's why... I have to be involved in in, in journal editing, Um, I have to be involved in providing uh, advisory to other institutions, and also to do the external link for for other universities. The academy also in South Africa is very small. So if someone does not take up all these um, uh, opportunities, does not say yes to these requests, then the academy won't be able to grow. In, in South Africa. That's why we have to avail ourselves. Sometimes it gets too much, but um, we have to do what needs to be done. And I'm, I'm enjoying collaborating, knowing about my colleagues and also knowing about what other colleagues uh, are researching, about what other colleagues do in those universities. And maybe sometimes we, we, we learn and we steal ideas and we, we implement them in, 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 in our own departments or universities.
0: Do you think that saying yes to so many things is in part due to the fact that women are are still underrepresented in the hierarchies in academic institutions? There are very few women still today that are represented as, as deans or even vice chancellors. Do you think that that has contributed to you saying yes to so many things?
1: Oh, yes. It has uh, contributed a lot because, um, for example, in my faculty, if I'm not mistaken, I think I'm the only full professor uh, who's of uh, um, African origin in the whole faculty. So I cannot say no to requests such as saying we need someone like you who can sit in this committee because there aren't many of you. And I I have to go because I need to 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 participate and make sure that my voice is heard. Um, but it's not just unique to South Africa because it's, it's everywhere. Women are not many when it comes to the academy, especially in high positions like deanship. I know at UP our dean is the first woman ever to be a dean of the law faculty. So we have to be there it takes a lot of time but until we mentor and encourage um, young women academics to take up these positions uh, we we, we just have to 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 do the job until that happens and unfortunately yeah it does take up on on our time but there's nothing that we can do about it for now.
0: These are sacrifices that you're making but For the women of tomorrow, they're going to see this as being normal. And in effect, you are creating these opportunities for them to to help pave the way. Hi, this is Lira, South African Afro soul singer and songwriter. You're listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, presented by Dr. Amelia Malka on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, a program that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, and democracy. Today, we're talking to Professor Zozo Jani Mohango, who is Professor in the Department of Jurisprudence at the Faculty of Law in the University of Pretoria in the previous segment of the conversation professor spoke about some of the roles that she plays within the institution from teaching to research to academic citizenship We also touched briefly on aspects of the impact of COVID-19 and potentially how during this period that access to data, access to the internet could be constituted as a human right in order to enable some of our other rights, such as education. And we spoke briefly about the role of women in the hierarchies at academic institutions. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at #WomanityTalk. Professor, turning towards more of a personal perspective, you hold your LLB, LLM, and LLD. What attracted you to the field of law?
1: Well, I think there are two uh, things that made me be interested uh, in the field of law. Uh, The first one is that I have a brother, an older brother, who did law in the late 80s. He's now an attorney. So I've always looked up to him and um, uh, I wanted to follow his footsteps and be an advocate. But the second uh, reason is that when I think I was in grade six, uh, it was standard at four then, our then teacher asked us what we wanted to do when we grow up. And growing up in the former sky during the turbulence, there were always uh, these uh, issues during the apartheid time, et cetera. So, when he asked us this, I said, I want to be an, an advocate so that I, I can help my people. He said to me, uh, Well, we can't always be what we want to be. So, I guess, in a way, at the back of my mind, I wanted to prove him wrong because I. After my matric, I did my LLB at the University of the Western Cape, and up until I did my LLD, but I didn't practice as an advocate, even though I was admitted as one. I decided to choose uh, this path of uh, the academy because I saw that I enjoyed uh, doing research when I was still a student. So those are two reasons that made me want uh, to be a lawyer. But I know that my mother wanted me to be a doctor, but I did become a doctor, but not a medical doctor.
0: Very true. And you're still helping people. I mean, I think of how much legislation has changed. And the other day I was looking at the rights and opportunities that women have today and reflecting that 100 years ago, we wouldn't have half of the opportunities that we have now. And it's purely because of legislative changes and how the law has changed things for the good for women.
1: Oh, yes. Uh, we constantly review the law. We constantly review the court judgments as academics and we write about it. Uh, we discuss it uh, in, 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 in different uh, forums. And that helps because we attract uh, policymakers to listen to what we are saying and then they do the changes. And sometimes some of the academics go to parliament um, to talk about laws that they want to pass and critique those laws and help them um, come up with more appropriate laws that are going to help the society.
0: Staying with this concept. I came across a quote from the then International Development Law Organization's Director General Irene Kahn, where she said, the quality of justice for women improves when women are not only consumers of justice, but also providers of justice. Please, can you share your perspective on this statement?
1: Oh, yes. Um, I believe that women uh, play a huge role when it comes to peace and justice. Uh, As someone who researches on on issues of peace in the region, I often come across uh, uh, research that says that things can work better if more women are out are included in that leadership that deals with uh, peace and security in Africa. So we cannot just sit around and uh, let men only to decide what is best for us all or what is best for women. For example, in my area of research, I often deal with sexual violence during armed conflict. Um, and how sexual violence during armed conflict amounts to international crimes and what needs to be done uh, when it comes to this. And for women to be quiet on the serious issue that affects women, it wouldn't make sense. So we need to be involved in areas of peace and justice. We need to be involved in the negotiations. If there are peace negotiations, women have to be there. They cannot take a seat back. A, a backseat. They need to be there, and they need to hold leadership positions that are, are going to, to to make an impact in those negotiations. Not to just be there as a, as an added number. They need to be there, contribute, be listened to. But it's 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 hard uh, to do. But it's 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 very good that we also have the UN Women, uh, where our former deputy president is a director, I think that they are pushing so hard for women to be taken seriously and for women to take, um, to participate in leadership and, and, and political um, issues.
0: We know that the road to equality is not smooth, uh, whether it is from a, a point of race and in our show in particular, from a point of gender. Please share with us some of the obstacles that you've encountered as a woman whilst building your career and what you did to overcome them?
1: Oh, yeah, there have been uh, obstacles from uh, people refusing to call me by my um, titles. If they see me, they see me as... Um, uh, I don't think they even see me as an academic. So they will call me Miss Jani. They won't really call me by, by by my title. I remember this one time where I had to go to class, where I had to school students about um, what we do as academics, especially as uh, women academics. Because you find that, that even for students, it's very easy to call um, our male counterparts and give them the title of professor, even if they are not. But for women, I don't know why they find it uh, so difficult. So that's the first thing, the title, we have to fight to be called by our titles. Uh, Secondly, as a woman uh, and uh, as a mother, you always have to Uh, take into account that you can't just be sitting in the study the whole day or the whole night without making sure that your family is fed, that your kids are fed, you look at their homework, etc. And I find it um, that when it comes to my partner, he can just sit there until I tell him that, you know, we are in the same field. You know exactly what academics are doing. Why can't you also uh, uh, do the things that I do as a parent or as a um, a, a, a member of the household and then uh, luckily he can see because he's in the same field. Um, so we have those issues. I mean, even for for our own siblings and parents, they know that, yes, you do the work, you are a professor, but I'm not sure if they understand how much time you need in order for you to climb up the ladder. Because for us, our job is not a nine to five job. It's not just going to class. And then when students are going on holiday, you take a holiday as well. You have to do your research and doing a research is not an easy thing. It does not come easily. It's by practice It's taking a lot of time. Uh, So I constantly need to remind people that yes, I wake, but I don't wake um, normal hours uh, like everybody else. Sometimes at night I wake up in the middle of the night because an idea comes and then I have to write it down, wake up, write down that um, idea. And then as a woman, a black woman, there's also another element to it because you're not taken seriously because of the color of your skin. And there are so many uh, books written about these days, an anthology written by um, American um, academics, which is called uh, Presumed Incompetent, where the authors are um, writing about their own experiences as women of color in Northern America and how they are not taken seriously in their craft only because they are women, especially with a background of not uh, speaking um, uh, fluently. And I'm sure you can even hear from uh, my own accent that uh, I don't come from the so-called models schools. I come from schools from rural areas. So that also is taken as a negative thing because you're supposed to speak a certain way, and therefore, you cannot be taken seriously if, uh, if you don't speak that certain way. So there are a number of challenges that we face. But one cannot just uh, sit, and sit and feel sorry for herself. You need to, to work harder. You must understand your own limits, work through them. And you will find yourself in the same position that I, I am in now because I've started from being an associate lecturer. And then the first of July, it will be my 17th year in the academy. And I am now a full professor. So um, we we can't just uh, complain, we do the work. And now because I hold this position, I have a voice where I will make sure that those who come um, behind me are not going to suffer. Uh, the same way that I have done. I have to create opportunities for them. I have to make sure that they don't suffer the same way that uh, I did. And that's exactly what I'm doing.
0: You mentioned knowing your limitations, but sometimes I think maybe we should flip this on its head and it's almost knowing the limitations of others that are around us because of their perceptions and limited perceptions but they don't see the full potential of people like you.
1: Oh, yes, uh, um, but it's, it's hard sometimes. You try to, to, to change people's perceptions and you also see people thinking hard when we talk about these issues. They think hard about their own role in all of this and you, you see the change. You see the, that they are now treating you differently than what they thought of you. I mean, you, I've had colleagues who have said to me, once I became an associate professor, they said, well, you know Zozo, we never thought you were going to make it. And you don't understand why a person will not think that you're going to make it when you are doing the same thing. But uh, after they saw that, oh, actually I can make it, their perceptions have uh, really changed. Of course, we have to talk about these issues and then some will change and um, do what we have to do.
0: Professor, we're coming towards the end of the show. And in this section, I'd like to ask you about some of the factors that you consider have contributed towards your success.
1: Well, for me, I... have. Grown up as this ambitious uh, person, I, I guess because of my background, I told myself that uh, I want to see myself um, uh, uh, leaving the rural areas, going and working somewhere. And my mother, um, in fact, both my parents instilled the importance of education um, when it came to us. They were not educated, but they made sure that any of their child that wants to go to varsity, they will make that to happen. And they were able to send three of us out of five kids to university with the the little money that they had. Uh, So that's the first thing that made me want to do better, to get out of uh, poverty situations, uh, to make my life better so that if I had kids one day, my kids w- w- will be in a, a better position. And secondly, I when I w- when I tell myself that I when I set goals for myself and make sure that I I reach those goals. So I will tell myself that in three years' time I need to do this. And uh, I make sure that that happens. And so far I have been lucky to be able to, to do that. And also I surround myself with mentors. I'm still being mentored um, uh, even today. One of my mentors is Professor Penny Andrews. I think you, you have um, interviewed her sometime, the former mm-hmm. Dean of the University of Cape Town. Yes, uh, yes, a
0: fascinating conversation I recall very well.
1: Yes, so she is, she is my mentor. Uh, I surround myself with those kinds of, of people, strong women, who when I have problems, I can go cry to them and they are able to, to help me, to encourage me um, and to tell me that I, I can do this. Um, and I, I also make sure that I take care of my uh, mental health. So when for ex I guess I'm privileged now because I am now a full professor. Like if I am tired, I feel like I don't want to work today. I make sure that I don't do it, especially if I don't have a class. Of course, if I have class, I will go to class. But if I'm tired and I don't feel like doing the research. I will tell myself that I can take this day off and I know that tomorrow I'll be feeling better for me to have a fresh mind and tackle the work. So I think it's important to listen to one's body and uh, make sure that um, uh, you are at the right uh, space of mind before you can do the work or deal even with people.
0: That's a great set of ingredients from understanding your balance, both in terms of workloads, personal loads, reaching out to mentors for strengthening and lifelong learning. Finally, as we close today's conversation, please, can you share a few words of inspiration that you'd like to pass on to women and girls who are listening to us today?
1: Oh, yes. So you have to believe in yourself, seek help, Because we we, we cannot do everything on our our own. We don't know everything. So seek help either from your family or from your mentors. Seek mentors. So it doesn't have to be your lecturer or your teacher. You can... um, go to someone who's not even in the field that you're interested in, but you know that they work hard. You can see that they are serious about their craft. And then you, you go and talk to the, to them about what do you do in order to succeed in whatever field that you want. And I always tell this uh, to my students that um, always talk to your lecturers. Uh, we It's not only about the schoolwork, it's also about anything. So our doors are always open to make sure that we are able to help students in, in any way. If we are unable to, work, to, to help them, we know that we can send them elsewhere where they can be able to, to seek help. And obviously hard work does pay off, thanks.
0: Great words of practical advice and recognizing the the humanness of people and the availability and accessibility of people who can help you when you need to. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. I, I really enjoyed this.
0: You have been listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective. And we have been talking to Professor Zozo Janji Mohanko, who is a professor in the Department of Jurisprudence at the Faculty of Law at the University of Pretoria.